may seem like a little pat answer, but you know, whenever we get our panties in a wad, you know, our big girl panties, our little girl panties, our big boy panties, our little boy panties, whatever panties are in a wad at the moment, there's an answer, and it's to get in his face. You know, and you go just as you are. And I know it's hard. We got all kinds of things we could say, you know, but, but he is the voice of life. And I'm telling you, to be carnally minded is death. And when you are not in peace and when you are anxious and you feel like you're about to have a breakdown, you know what, that's the time to take a Jesus time out. And I, I, it is, there's no other place to run because he has the words of life. He has the answer. He has the strategy. He has the comfort. He has the encouragement. He knows exactly what you need when you need it. And there's plenty for all of us here. There's plenty. He has plenty, plenty, plenty. He knows us. He knows our thoughts. He knows what's wrong. He knows where it started, how it ends, and everything in between. And, you know, when I sit down to talk with him, most of the time I'm like, I don't even know where to start. I thank God you know. You don't, you even know my head right now that I can't even make sense of. I don't know how I, I don't even know what to say because talking seems like confusion. So I'm not even going to talk. I'm just going to, because you know, you know how to lead me. You know how to guide me. You know how to comfort me. You know what I need. And I'm here just saying help. I'm here saying I'm dependent on you. I'm saying Right this moment is all I have, and it's with, and I'm giving it to you to give you, you have the floor. You have the floor. Tell me, you know, um, tell me what to think. Tell me what to write. Tell me what to ask. Tell me whatever needs to be told. <laughs> and I'm just here. I'm just here listening. I'm your child. I'm, I'm the dependent one. I'm the, I'm the one that needs you. I'm the, you know, I'm the bride. I'm the child. I'm the receiver. I'm just the one here that's in position to let you be God. You are God. I'm not. So tell me, lead me, guide me, help me. And then shut up. And let him talk. And just let him talk and let him lead the conversation and let him encourage you. You know, I mean, I've done this for, and you know this, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know. It's just when you're in it, sometimes, you know, you need to be reminded. And the other thing I would say is this isn't something you do just now while you're in crisis. This is a lifestyle that you develop that you don't ever leave. This is a way of life. It's a way of life. Amen? Yeah, and it's just, you know, learning to depend on him, learning learning to, to go to the only one that has the answers. You know? Because we get ourselves, I mean, we get ourselves, I mean, we just, we think in our heads without God. And that is, you know, and again, we hear so many different people and we we're pulled in so many different directions and we're busy and we're tired and we have symptoms in our body or whatever. I mean, you know, the things that are, the the actual storm, the the things that are going on and it, it, it can pull us out of a place that only God can help. Does that make sense? And you know, Tonight, I was, I was kind of meditating on what the Lord wanted me to share. Um, he first took me to um, Genesis chapter 3, which is where uh, the serpent enters into the garden. And really, it's, it was all, tonight he wanted me to talk about this voice of doubt. And it was kind of like, and then Jess kind of said this too. You know, she said, there's so many voices, so many voices, um, including our own voice, right? And all the voices in our head, our self-talk, the accuser of the brethren, you know, the voice, the opinions of others. There's so many voices, you know, in the garden, there weren't that many voices. 
there was God's voice, Adam's voice, Eve's voice, and then you had the serpent's voice. So there were four voices there, you know, and we've got to, you know, you got to, you got to be aware of the voices. You have to be aware of the voices. Are you guys hearing me? Um, you know, there's another scripture in Mark chapter four, um, that I'll go to. I'm going to come back to Genesis three in a moment. But in Mark chapter 4, and I want to read it in a particular, it's Mark 4.24, but I want to read it in the particular version. Uh, Mark 4.24 in the amplified version. Let me just see what that, if that's the one I want. It says, be careful what you are hearing. Okay, be careful what you are hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. And more besides will be given to you who hear. Okay, that was in the one version of the Amplified. I'm going to just look at a couple other versions here because there's some really good versions of this that I want to read. All right, this one says, in the voice it says, so consider carefully the things you're hearing. If you put it to use, you'll be given more to wrestle with, much more. Those who have listened will receive more, but those who don't hear will forget even the little they failed to understand. So, I mean, it's just the whole point of that one is just, you know, watch what you're listening to and that the measure of truth, when you, when you really focus on the truth, it, that there's, there's a correlation between what you meditate on and what you experience. Can, can you hear what I'm saying here? And, and it goes back to these voices. It goes back to these thoughts because in Genesis chapter 3, the voice of doubt, you know, just came in to say, you know, did God really say? Just really simple. Did God say don't eat that tree? Just a simple question. And then Eve begins to, you know, respond with what she thinks God said. She adds to it. She says, we may eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God did say, you must not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. And then the serpent starts to doubt, get her to doubt what God had said. He just calls God a liar. It says, you will certainly not die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So then Eve begins to take thought about what the enemy had said, about what the serpent had said. She begins to meditate on that. And now she's looking at the fruit. It says, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good and pleasing to the eye, and it was also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. So, you know, here she is. She heard what God had said, and then she heard another voice. And she began to listen to this voice of doubt and began to meditate on that and look at the physical realm and the tree and the and the fruit and the lie. She began to, to, to meditate on the lie that if she wouldn't die, if she ate it, just a lie. And began to, to met, you know, hear that. And the next thing you know, she was headed down the path that was not God's path. There's another place in Matthew. And, you know, the enemy is always trying to get us to get our eyes off of Jesus, to get our eyes off of what God, to cause us to doubt what God has said and to get our eyes off of Jesus, to get our eyes on ourselves, to get our eyes on the circumstances, to get our eyes on other people. Like, let me just say this, just Josh is not your source. Now, I'm just saying that from the spirit of God. It doesn't mean I don't have compassion for you. You know what I mean? Like, that's not, this is just not, this is just, let's just take this as from the Lord, right? God is your source. 
and, you know, even the source of your children. Like we know that John, you know what I mean? But just he's the source. He is, he is a father to these kids. Right? And he's a husband. He's a father and a husband. And it doesn't mean, you know, I mean, he's also Josh's source. He's also the source for everything he needs. And so there's a, a play. He's the source of healing. He's the source of provision. He is the so, he has enough for every need that is in this room right now. No matter what it looks like. No matter what it is. No matter if it is a need for peace or a need for provision or a need for healing or a need for uh, divine circumstances to line up. Or he is, he just, he is enough. He is enough. And in Matthew 14, this is a, a really good point, kind of along the same lines here, because this is Peter. It says, uh, immediately Jesus, is verse 22 in Matthew 14, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside, mountainside by himself to pray. Now, I'm going to stop here for a moment because that's not really the point here. But Jesus left the crazy, left the left the the, the disciples, left the demands of ministry to go up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So if Jesus needed to get away to pray. And he's the son of God, anointed by the Holy Ghost, who went about doing good and healing all our press of the devil. Here he is, the son of God. If he needed to get away by himself to pray, then that means I'm assuming that everyone in here is not probably as connected to God as Jesus was. Even though we are, <laughs> you know, in our minds, we're not. And we need to get away with God. And we need to hear the voice of God. We don't make decisions without clear direction. We don't, we don't, we are people that hear and obey. We hear and obey. We listen to the voice of the good shepherd, and that is the, that is the voice we're following. And we're tempted, just like Eve was, but we say no. We say no. We get back into the place, into that, that, that mountainside, wherever, whatever that looks like for you, and we pray. And we get reconnected, and we get reminded about what God has said. Do you know how many times God has had to remind me what he has said? And I ask him, remind me, tell me what to think. Tell me what to focus on right now, because I don't know what to think and I don't know what to focus on, you know? And so you've got to tell me, you've got to remind me. I'm a dole of hearing here. You've got to help, you know? So anyway, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So the disciples were struggling. Say struggling. Yeah, right? It says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come walk to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And that was that's kind of the end of that story. But, you know, here, the, the moral of this story, okay, is that if you want to dominate whatever natural situation is coming against you, you are going to have to keep your eyes on Jesus. You're going to have to listen for his instructions. You're going to have to take a step of faith and follow what he tells you to do and not look to anything except him. 
And it also will tell you, if you get your eyes off of him, what you're going to get is doubt. Okay, you're going to get doubt if you stop looking at him. Because the wind and the waves and the sea, plus you're standing for a miracle. You're standing for things that are supernatural. You're not standing, you know, for the 12 disciples to be able to row the boat in calm weather to the other side. Right? We're not looking for something. We're not, we're not, we're not doing something natural here. We are, we are, we are, we are called to overcome. He says he calls us, he always calls us to triumph. That we are more than conquerors through him. So we are, we are designed by God to overcome. And let me tell you, adversity, it's always a question. All, you know, the miracle is always about what we believe and fear and doubt. And it, it's just a fight. It's a fight. It's a fight to stay focused on Jesus and what he said. And the voices that come, the circumstances, the voices, they come to get your eyes off of what God has spoken and off of Jesus. Um, really, all of Mark 4 is a picture of how what the enemy uses to get our eyes off of what God has spoken. Uh, that whole parable before it says, be careful what you're hearing. You know, it says, let me just get out. Let me get to a different translation here. Okay, go back to the sower sows the word here, right? It says, um, All right, so in Mark 4, let me start reading in verse um, 14. The sower sows the word. Uh, and you can, when you think about the sower sowing the word, you can think that this is the word of God coming to me. This is the voice of God being sown into my heart. He has spoken a prophecy over my life, even just a promise. You know, Second Peter two twenty four. You know, by His stripes I'm healed. It's a word from God. It's a it's a word. It's a promise, or it's a prophetic word from God. And He is God is the sower, right? And we are the soil, right? And it says here that these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Okay, this to me sounds like Adam and Eve. It sounds like that the the serpent came immediately to Eve and stole the word, right? Um, It says, these likewise are the ones that are stone on stony ground. When they hear the word, they receive it with gladness. Okay, this is you getting excited about the prophetic word you got. Right? This is you getting that revelatory insight when you read the word of God and be like, wow, that's amazing, awesome. And you get pumped up about it. You receive it with gladness. It says, but they don't have root in themselves. And so they endure for only a time. As soon as afterward, If tribulation comes, persecution comes, by the way, it's coming for the word's sake. All right? Immediately they stumble. Okay? This is, you get triggered by X, Y, Z. Right? You get a phone call from somebody or you, uh, who knows, get a bill, an unexpected bill in the mail or, or just some, a truck, persecution arises. Affliction, a trial comes your way. And the trial and the tribulation or the trigger, whatever, however you want to say it, it steals the word. 
And so the promise becomes out the window. The prophecy, totally forgot about it. And now you're just caught up in this current thing here. Does that make sense? Then the other option here, it says, now when one of these is sown among thorns, they are the ones who hear the word. Okay, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in. So now you just get caught up in worldly cares, anxieties, uh, the things that seem loud in your life, right? The deceitfulness of riches, you, you, money becomes a focus, desires all kinds of desires start to come in and they, they steal, they choke the prophetic promise. They, they choke what God has said. And so they, the focus gets off of what God has said and onto all of these other things. It says, but the ones that are sown on good ground who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit... They bear 30-fold, 60, and some 100. Now, there's kind of it. Let's keep going here. Because it said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not set to be set upon a lampstand? He said, for there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor is anything even kept secret that it should be come into the light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. Let him hear. So he's saying here, the purpose of the word is like a lamp. Okay. And it's not, it's not designed to just stay hidden like a hidden promise. A prophecy is not like a lamp. It's not, it's not meant to be put under a basket or under a bed and just hidden. No, it's meant to be put up on a table. It, it's, a, it's supposed to be seen. It's supposed to be manifest. A promise is not really that helpful unless it manifests. It's not supposed to be a theory. It's supposed to be a testimony. And so if it's hidden, it's hidden just like a seed. A seed is not designed to stay in the ground. A seed is designed to grow, be visible, and bear fruit. And so is the word of God. It may start out invisible, meaning just words on a page. There's no evidence of it in your life. You may not be able to see the manifestation of what God has spoken over you or spoken in his word in your life, but it's not a problem with the seed. It's not a problem with the promise. It's not a problem with the prophecy. The determining factor here is the heart. It's the focus. Can we say this? It's the focus of the person. It's the focus. Where are you focused? Are you focused on the trial? Are you focused on the tribulation? Are you focused on the care? Are you focused on the deceitfulness of riches? Are you focused on the desire for other things? Or are you focused on what God has spoken? I mean, Eve got focused on wisdom. I mean, you know, just a desire for wisdom. You know, there's the, they talk about the pride of life, right? The pri- You know, it's like... You just, you get your focus off, and it will ultimately bear down to this. You get your focus off of Jesus. You get your focus off of what God has spoken. And I, it is easy to do that in the world that we live in, in this Facebook, politically driven, divisive, everybody's in strife world that we live in. The voices are loud. There are many things to garner our attention. There are causes, good things, good things that we could get focused on. Not just the bad things. But good things that even aren't necessarily God things. You know, Jesus, if he went, I mean, I just think it's interesting that Jesus went away on a mountainside to pray. I mean, he would leave. He would leave the crowds to get away. Uh, you know, and if you go a little bit above that, okay, above where he goes away on a mountainside to pray, well, you know what he was doing right before that? 
Well, he feeds 5,000 people. So, but it's interesting. He was trying to get away to pray when the 5,000 found him. If you go back up to, let's just start in verse 1 of Matthew. Okay, um, let me just kind of, okay. So this, so in the first part of, of John chapter 14, Jesus hears the news that John the Baptist had been killed by Herod and basically had his head served on a platter. Pretty disturbing news, you know? And so after John's disciples had buried John, they went and told Jesus what happened. So when Jesus heard what had happened to John, okay, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So here's Jesus dealing with this thing, and he went to pray. He went to go spend some time with his father. But hearing of it, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed, he was going on his way to pray. He sees a large crowd. He had compassion on them and began to heal the sick, right? So long story short, the disciple, the evening's approaching. Disciples are telling him, you know, it's getting late, send the crowns away. But Jesus is like, they don't need to go away. Give them something to eat. There was only five loaves of of bread and two fish. Anyway, long story short, he feeds the 5,000. After the 5,000, he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead into the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And then he went up to the mountainside to pray. So, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a crazy day. Can we say a crazy day? You find out a family member's beheaded, right? You're just trying to get away to find some quiet time with God, and then you are bombarded by 5,000 hungry people. And you don't have enough provision to feed them. So you, you know, do you know I mean? Like this is, this is a Jesus day, right? And so his example was get away with God. And I'll say this, the heavier the circumstances, the more oppression and the more you're dealing with, the more important it is to go deeper and to put, make that priority the priority. You know, and because that's where the victory is. The victory is in his face. The victory is in his presence. The victory is in his instructions. And we really aren't, we aren't responsible. Let me just, I mean, I know we have responsibilities. I know we have things that we have to take care of. But our primary responsibility is to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Because at the end of our life, what's going to matter is that we, we did what God said to do. At the end of our life, you know, and he really, here's the thing. We can only seek his kingdom in this minute. We can't seek the kingdom in the past, and we can't seek the kingdom in the future. We can seek the kingdom right this moment. And then in the next moment, seek the kingdom again. And the next moment, it is a life of surrender to the will of God. It is a life of surrender to what God is speaking. And all these other voices and all these other desires and all these other cares and all these other things at the end of our life aren't going to amount to a hill of beans. What's going to amount to a hill of beans is that we knew him, right? And that we just followed him wherever that leads us. I mean, the Christian life is about following him. You know, it's follow being his disciple is about following him. And we aren't, we aren't obligated to any other, other voice. I mean, we have responsibilities to people, but we, does that make sense? I mean, that, that is a, the end of our life, what's going to matter is that we knew him and that we lived a life to the best that we knew how to follow him. Are we in agreement with this?
Yeah. And I'll tell you what, in his presence, and when you get kind of this perspective, it kind of puts everything else in its place. You know, it puts, Jesus has a way of putting whatever we're going through in its proper perspective. And he wants to be our source. He wants to be our source. He wants to be enough for our kids, enough for our spouse, enough for those that we're called to minister to, enough. He wants to be enough. And his name, El Shaddai, is translated all-sufficient one. All-sufficient one. I was studying that out a little bit the other day, and I was looking at Genesis 17.1 and all the different translations when God introduced himself to Abraham as the all-sufficient one, which is really the first way God introduced himself. Um... To Abram, he says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. I'm El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless, be perfect. And I kind of started studying this a little bit. And it's kind of interesting. The root of the word that's translated blameless or be perfect, a better translation for that, the root of that is be whole or be integrated so, and the, the roots of like all, that are translated Almighty God, which is in the Hebrew is El Shaddai. Um, the roots of those are Shad, which means breast, or Sadu, which means mountain. And it really paints a picture of God nourishing, satisfying, and supplying his people with all of their needs as a mother would her child. It denotes a God who freely gives nourishment and blessing. He is our sustainer. And, you know, it says walk. So let me just say it this way. Um, I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be whole. Our wholeness is, is found in him. It's found in him. And so, and let me just say this. When anybody comes to you, this is, this, is, this, is, this is the best answer you can give anybody, okay? No matter what it is they're facing, what is God saying? What is God saying? What has God said? What is he, sa- what, what, you know, what is he saying? What is he saying about it? Because a lot of times we... You know, because we'll listen. Well, you, you, you have compassion. I mean, Jesus had compassion on the cross. You have compassion. Um, and some people, are, you know, have that gift of compassion. They're just that full of mercy and full of compassion because that's an attribute of God's heart. I mean, he has compassion and he has mercy. But at some point, we also have to kind of get out of that empathetic place with people and point them back to what is God saying about it. Because I can't really, I mean, I can tell you, it, you know, when you can hear what God is saying, then I can agree with you for that. In the absence of that, then I'm going to have to hear what God is saying, <laughs> right? And I'm going to, which I'm totally fine with doing, and I'm going to have to go, or we're going to have to go back to the word of God. Because the word of God is always going to, we know whatever he's saying, it's going to be in line with the word. Right? It's going to be in, in alignment with the character of God. It's going to be in alignment and agreement with love. It's going to look miraculous. What God is saying is going to be probably the impossible thing. I mean, I think God gives concessions for us. Like he, you know, he's given concessions in his work, you know, for divorce and different things because of the hardness of heart of man. Like, he will have concessions. I mean, it's not going to love you less if you don't, you know, stand for the miracle. But be clear that that's his best. His best is the miracle. The best is the impossible. His best is him getting glory for being who he says he is.
And so I guess the moral to this tonight is go to the mountainside. Get to the mountainside. Connect with what God is saying. And if you are just, you know, I mean, there are times when, you know what, you're deathly ill. I mean, like, you know, there are some times when people are not able to do that for themselves. And then then you get to the mountainside for them. You know, this week in Emerge, we're getting a word for somebody else. This week in Emerge is part of our list. We've been listening and using our activated senses. And part of the lesson this week is doing that for another person. And so... That's one of the beauties about being able to get to the mountainside and being able to hear God and being able to do that is that you can hear for other people. And I mean, I know in my life, I have, that's sometimes the best gift I have to give to people. I, I, you know, sometimes I would love, I mean, I don't have the gift of helps. I don't have a lot of the other gifts. You know, I'm not a, I don't really have that gift that's going to come and, you know, make a big dinner and invite you over. You know what I mean? Like that's not necessarily my, my gift. Um, but goodness knows I can, I can hear and I can see and I can receive and I can stand and I can pray and I can do other things. And we need it all. <laughs> we need that all. We need the people to make them heal. I mean, I've been in the place where I needed that. I need those ministries, <laughs> you know? So they're, bless God for that. But, but my point with that is we also need to be able to go to the mountain for other people. We need to be able to be a voice of faith and a voice of, of truth and a voice, a prophetic voice in other people's lives to cut through the voices that they're hearing and clear it up for them so that until they can get to the mountain, if they're not able to get there, if the circumstances are too heavy or they're physically not able or whatever is going on, right? I mean, the body is to be that for one another. I mean, I, I, Hearing the voice of God is the most incredible gift that we've ever been given. Being able to hear God, being able to connect with God's heart. You know, and I remember living most of my life not being able to do that. You know, I was in my mid-30s before I learned to hear the voice of God. I mean, half of you here weren't, aren't even as old as I was the very first time I heard God. You know, and so don't discount that and don't allow, recognize the other voices, recognize that there are many, many voices and there comes a time, you know, Nate taught last week about if you can't feel it, you can't heal it. And I'm all for, Hey, that was my quote. I mean, I'm all for giving place, not stuffing your emotions, but I'm also very much aware that if I had just felt it, if I just stayed in the feeling all those years ago, I would still be suffering from, you know, mental illness because just because I feel it doesn't mean it's true. All right? I mean, it, it may be, I mean, it's a feeling. It's real. You feel it. But it is, it is absolutely not necessarily an indication of the truth. You know, like Nate, you know, just a minute ago when Amy was just sharing her prayer requests and it was like, you know, and I know it's not true, but I feel hopeless, right? I mean, Jesus can minister to your emotions and that hopelessness, but let's be, let's be very clear. What he's going to minister to you is truth because the truth is what will diminish hopelessness. The truth will bring hope. It will shift your focus. He'll, he'll bring a truth that will cause depression to fall off because you'll realize it was a lie. Negative emotions come from lies. Now, I'm not, you know, I mean, even grief to a certain degree. To a certain degree, when we lose loved ones, especially like, you know, I lost my mom. and Of course I was grief. I was grief. But to a, to a degree, there's a de- deception in this. That death is... You know, something that it's, it means something, you know, that, that this life is longer than it actually is. I mean, it is a, on the blip of eternity. I mean, our trials and tribulations compared to the time that is after this. I mean, just our impression of time is a deception and an illusion. 
You know, and so it's, it's always this higher place that God's wanting to take it. And so, yes, we have feelings. And I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't feel them. We shouldn't stuff them. We shouldn't deny them. But we do need to feel that, like, like Nate was saying too, we need to feel them in the presence of God. We need to take those emotions to the Lord. We need to feel those things with the Lord. And we need to be naked and unashamed with the Lord so that he can minister. I mean, I have no doubt that's why Jesus was headed to the mountain because he was grieving. I mean, John the Baptist had been beheaded. He baptized him. He was a family member. He was a cousin. I mean, this was in the natural devastating news, but yet I don't know how long he prayed, but the next thing you know, he's down there walking on the water. I mean, he didn't just come down the mountain. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that long. Whatever God said, whatever the Father said to him, he's out there discipling his disciples to get out on the boat and walk on water. And then, and then, you know, kind of rebuking them for having, for doubting. So he didn't stay, you know, I mean, yeah, he, he had those moments and, and that's where I'm saying, go, go, go to the Lord, go to those places where the voices are overwhelming and the, and the circumstances are so, I mean, I, trust me, I, I got my own list right now and I'm determined to stay in his face and I'm determined to go deeper, to go deeper to go deeper. I have been deep. I have been into such depths of intimacy with God because of the depths of the brokenness that I have come out of. I have been in very deep, broken places with Jesus. And I believe somehow there's, he's, he's like, you didn't even scratch the surface, daughter. Like this deepness that you, you, there's a, there's a whole nother level that I'm drawing you into. And a lot of times, you know, the circumstances are not good. What we're dealing with isn't good. But there is a, but, but be, but we're allowing it to draw you into a deeper place with God is the most incredible revenge, the most incredible in your face devil thing that you can do just to allow the trial and the tribulation and the heaviness and all of these things that you're experiencing to just force you deeper in to revelation of him and, and intimacy with him and experiences with him that there's no way you would have if you weren't going through that, because it's, it's, it's pulling on your soul in a way that you've never been pulled on before, maybe, or maybe it's a trial or a tribulation that you never even saw coming, or you just get thrown into, or maybe it's one that you've been dealing with for decades, like Amy's, right? That you're just exhausted from dealing with it. Well, let that be the catalyst that draws you deeper, that draws you down into a place of greater depths and revelation with him. You know, don't, don't get so caught up in the temporalness of life in just the, the things that are in the big scheme of things aren't even going to matter probably five years from now. Some of them will, some of them may not. I don't know. But we can't, I, I just, that is a word for the hour. Just draw near, draw near, draw near. And rehear. Draw near and rehear. You know, a lot of times, and I, I, sometimes you have to kind of get over the condemnation of not even drawing near. Like you're like, well, why haven't I been doing this? I should have been doing this. Blah, 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 blah. You know, but no, even that can be a hindrance to drawing near. Because you feel guilty for not already have drawn near or something. You know, it's like, ah, just get all of that out of there and just sit down with Jesus. Get your journal out. Just focus with the Lord. Just wherever you are, shut the, you know, shut everything off for a minute. You know? And the heavier it is, you know, the more frequently you're going to need to do that, the more you're going to have to do what it takes to stay connected. 
And, and I know we're busy. But it's kind of like you've got this oxygen tank right next to you and you're saying, I'm too busy to breathe. I'm, I'm suffocating here. There's an oxygen tank, but I'm, I, I, I don't have time to breathe. And so you just continue to you know, suffocate and die on the vine rather than just... <gasps> right, and go back to your source of life. You know, because you're suffocating. If you're suffocating under the circumstances, if you're suffocating under the emotions, if you're suffocating under the heaviness of whatever you're dealing with, go and breathe. Breathe the breath. Breathe the place. Go there. I mean, I'm, I, I, and I have been doing this for a long time, and I have never been disappointed. I've never been disappointed when I sit down with the Lord and pour my heart out and come from a just authentic, maybe broken, exhausted, at my wit's end, you know, you name it, whatever the adjective is that described, you know, that non-joyous state of mind, I've never seen Jesus not know exactly, or the Father, or Holy Spirit, or all three of them tag team. And that's very common. They'll tag team, you know, and just get in the game with me and get my mind back on track, get my eyes focused on what they should be focused on, uh, reveal a greater measure of glory of who Jesus is in his in his person of who the father wants to be of of the of the what has what he has accomplished over and over in the word the the countless miracles the countless things he's done in my life i mean just get you refocused on what is real and what is true and open up your spiritual eyes to angels and and the reality of another realm and and you just you wake up it's like you just and then you just when you're awake you just are like oh my god how did i fall so asleep and the, you know you just it's a whole nother realm of thinking it's a whole nother realm of being and and that he is the door jesus is the door to that and we have access we have access we have 24/7 access if we can't sleep we have access you know if i mean last i was just i've been dealing with some stuff and i mean i sometimes it's all i can do to barely open my mouth and just, in Jesus' name. You know, there are times when you're weak. There are times when you are, the best you've got is a, in Jesus' name. You know what I mean? But you, you have, we have access. We have access. And, you know, probably, I don't know if this is my life scripture. It might be. I hadn't really thought of it before. But I love this scripture in Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to find it here in a moment. Um, In the Amplified Version, let me look it up here. I love love this so much. Uh, But I've got to find it in the right. There's two Amplifieds on here, so let me find the one I'm looking for. Okay. Oh, so good. It says this in Philippians 3.10. Oh, so good. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. Now I'm going to stop here for a moment. Paul, the apostle Paul, we might have, you might think his determined purpose was to evangelize the globe. Now he was called as an apostle to the Gentiles and he was, he did not forsake the heavenly vision. He had a vision. He was given a vision. But let's be clear, 
that vision was driven by his purpose. And his purpose was to know, progressively know, deeply, more intimately know, recognize, perceive, understand, listen to this, the wonders of his person. There are wonders, unexplored wonders, mysteries, depths to the being of God and to the person of God and to the beauty of God and to the power of God and to the indescribable goodness of God. There is more. There is more to know. There is more to experience. There is more to manifest. And, you know, if, you, if your life blows up with this purpose, I think you're so intoxicated and you're so enthralled and you're so lost in this place, I'm not sure you notice. Because I read about Paul's life because this whole Philippians thing was written from a Philippian jail. I mean, this is the same book of the Bible where he's saying, rejoice, I'm in jail, rejoice. I mean, you know, I'm like, I mean, it, it, it's not, it's not a happy, I mean, he, he, he I mean, and, and his whole life was about a revelation of Jesus. His whole life was not about his personal satisfaction and success. You know? It, 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 was, it was found in a person. You know, we, we think we're going to arrive someday and be happy somewhere. I mean, maybe just, can I just say that? We're not going to arrive somewhere and be happy someday. The American dream is an illusion. Because we can guess what? We can arrive, we can be somewhere and be happy right now. We can be somewhere and be happy right now in him. We don't have to arrive somewhere and be happy someday. We can be somewhere and be happy right now. And Paul's, I mean, this is so beautiful. And let me say this, if you've tasted it just a bit, just a tiny little taste and everybody, I believe here, and I'm declaring everybody that's listening to this, I mean, I'm just getting weepy just talking about it because we have tasted it. We've tasted enough to know that it is the true, living life of purpose. of life. It's the place, the only place of satisfaction, the only place where everything that is it just fades and it's just this cool, it's, it's an indescribable, it's an indescribable taste of goodness. And Paul got it and he's just like, wow. And you know, he said in verse eight, I count everything loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege. Listen to this, of the overwhelming preciousness the surpassing worth, the supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately, here he goes again, acquainted with him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly. For his sake, I've lost everything. And I consider it all to be trash in order that I might win and gain Christ. I mean, talk about someone that, I mean, I just, that that had found the meaning of life. Had found the source of life, the source of peace, the source of joy, the source of everything, you know, and then in in verse 10, if you go back to that, it talks about, okay, in the same way he has made it his purpose to just intimately and deeply know Jesus. It says, and he says, and that I may in the same way 
come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection. So let me go back and read it this way. Okay. For my determined purpose is that I might know that I might progressively and deeply and intimately become acquainted with the power outflowing from his resurrection, that I might perceive it, recognize it, and understand it more strongly and more clearly. This, there's a power that flowed from the resurrection. And so there's this wonders of the person and then this power that came from the resurrection. And I'm telling you, talk about becoming fear-free. If you made your purpose to know the power that came from the resurrection that defeated death, that that that, that defeated the curse, that defeated the enemy, I mean, like... So, so Paul, he's, this is his purpose. He's, he's studying this stuff. He's diving into this resurrection, this, the resurrection thing. And then he says, and that I, there's just so much in here that I might share in his sufferings as, he doesn't mean, he means I want to, I want to share in his crucifixion. I want to be so crucified with Christ. It says, as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death, in the hope that if possible, I might attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while in the body. So he's saying, I believe I can live this like resurrected life this Christ-resurrected life, even though I'm still in this unrenewed body. I mean, he was just tapping into something that is incredible here. Anyway. It's, it's, it says that I might progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving, recognizing, and understanding the wonders of his person. Like, this is a beautiful scripture. It just, just is so beautiful. And it, it just brings everything back to the place of what's the focus here? Right? What's the focus here? And it is so easy to get off focus. Right? And I like it because even at the end here it says, you know, verse 12, he says, not that I've attained this ideal (laughs) or that I've already been imperfect, but I press on to lay hold of and grasp and make my own. I love it. I'm going to say it this way. He says, that for which Christ Jesus the Messiah laid hold of me and made me his own. He says, I'm going to, let me paraphrase it, he says, not that I've already got this, you know, thing down, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep on keeping on. I'm going to press to lay hold of it. I'm going to grasp. I'm going to get it. I'm going to make it my own. I'm going to get the very thing that Jesus Christ, the very thing, the very reason that he got hold of me. And made me, there's a reason he got hold of me and made me his own. And that reason is that I'll know him. The reasons that I would be conformed to his crucifixion. The re, he, he, I'm going to, I'm going to be conformed to this image. I'm going to know him and be conformed to that image. And I haven't attained it, but I'm going to get it. Cause this is the reason Jesus came for me was for me to get it. And then he says, I don't consider that I've captured and made it my own yet, but the one thing I do, the one aspiration, is I forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. And it says, so let those of us who are spiritually mature and full grown have this mind 
and hold these convictions. And he said, and if any respect you have a different attitude of mind, God will make that clear to you also. Amen? So, I mean, this is a, this is Paul saying, so let's all think like this. And if you aren't thinking like that, God's gonna, God's gonna make it clear to you that you're not thinking right. That you've lost sight of what's important. And that you are listening to the other voices and you are listening to the circumstances. You're, you're, you're taking your eyes off of Jesus and you're looking at the waves and the wind. You're letting the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the serpent come in and tell you God's a liar and he can't be trusted, that he's a bad guy, that he's holding something from you, you know? And, you know, that whole chapter 3, you know, he just talks about, you know, how he had, in the natural, it seemed like he would have had a good life of things to be proud of, but none of that matters. Success in the kingdom is not the same thing as success in the world. Yeah, it's absolutely. Absolutely. And it doesn't mean that you won't have success in the world. I mean, but it doesn't mean necessarily that you will either. Because success in the kingdom is measured very, very differently. And I just know, you know, I mean, (laughs) we don't like to think about it. But, you know, I mean, these disciples were crucified. Hung upside down. (laughs) You know, I mean, and I don't know that any of us is ever going to be a martyr. But maybe the, the things we're going through are martyr-like. And we need, to, we need to hear Jesus and do what he's asking us to do. Because at the end of our life, we're not going to have wanted to have chosen the path, you know, that is just whatever path. Our path. The path that looks right, the path that seems right to a man, right? So, well, Father, I just, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you for this reminder. Oh, I thank you for this. I feel it's like a lure, <laughs> like we're a fish, and he's got a shiny, cool little lure in front of us, and we just, it's like, come on, come on, come on, I'm luring you into my presence. <laughs> I'm luring you into... <laughs> you know, my, my grip. <laughs> I'm luring you into, into me, into intimacy. I'm luring you into intimacy. And, um, we thank you that that's what you're doing. You're drawing us in. Good. I thank you, Lord, that that's the, that's where we run when it gets tough, when, when the things get tough, when things get heavy, when things get out of our control. We are out of our own control, Lord. I thank you that you, we run to you. And I just call us into that place. More intimacy, more knowledge, more understanding, more perceiving the wonders of your person. More knowing, experiential knowing of who you are. Who you are for us, what you are to us, practically and very um, real, tangible. This is your tangible God. And you know how to help us. And so, Lord, we just ask you for that. I'm going to read a few. I think like the Lord is. I'm just going to read this, some of this over you. I'm just going to read some of this. Um, it's kind of an unformed kisses from heaven, so I'm just going to kind of work through it. It says, um, when I formed you in secret... I knew you. I've seen every day of your life. I ordained you and brought you forth. You were and still are my idea. There is nothing to fear because I am here. I see everything and I'm afraid of none of it. 
I can handle it. I can handle all of it. I'm not shrinking back. And I know you are powerless. But I chose you and I still choose you. You are our beloved child. Let me help you. Let me be your source, your only source. Comparing yourself and your situation to others is silly. You aren't like anyone else. You're unique and special. And I know exactly what you need. Don't be afraid, little one. Don't be afraid. I will help you. I am helping you. You don't have to do anything on your own ever again. Let me love you. Let me teach you to love and honor yourself the way I do. Let me show you just how lovable and free you really are in me. Let me be your guide into yourself. Let me transform the way you see yourself. Let me infuse your thoughts with hope and strength and stamina. Let's focus on us. Let me fulfill my promises for you. My promises are yours. My glory is yours. All that I am, all that I possess belongs to you. I am yours. I belong to you just as much as you belong to me. Nothing you are facing is a problem for me. I am an expert at all of it. I can handle it all. I don't even need your help. I can do all the work. I can take care of you, your family, your finances, of every single thing that concerns you. I am enough. I am all sufficient. Yeah, thank you, Lord. We just we just let those words sink in and we just receive that tonight. And we thank you that that's just scratching the surface even of what you want to speak to us. And so we just give you permission to continue the conversation. We call our, just call us into those, those places of, you know, time with you. And uh, just bless everyone here, Father, with wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. And uh, just declare, Lord, that our eyes are enlightened. The eyes of our understanding are enlightened. And we know the hope of our calling. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.